0: Amen. That is, it goes along with a sermon that I listened to this week, and some of you may have also listened to it, but uh, because it's um, the Sermon of the Week from Bill Johnson, and it talks about the power of prayer, the power of that connection. That it's not just about numbers of people coming together and saying some pre-written prayer, but it's about our hearts. It's about our hearts literally connecting with the creator of the universe. It's really quite extraordinary. But uh, we do that in prayer. We do that when we speak to him. We do that when we worship him. I love our worship. Uh, oftentimes I will just kind of fall into kind of myself, if you will. And I, I think many many do that in worship where, where I ask, Lord, how do you receive this? How are you receiving this right now? When we worship, how are you receiving this? And oftentimes I, I just... Gets such a sense of joy that he gets, and and I love that last song. I that last song means means something special. Tess Josh knows what I'm talking about. We had a, a band a few years ago called Passion Project Band. For some of you may remember what that was, but that was a song that we wrote. I think uh, there were several of us that helped write it, but I think it was mostly Jordan that wrote that song. And that song became quickly a banner in my life in terms of what I wanted God to know about me. I wanted him to hear from my heart. And and what's interesting is years back I, I was a worship leader for fifteen years. And I remember a long time ago catching flack for doing songs that would have like woes and you know, no words, just just the singing, the harmonizing, the whoa, you know what we just did, and I remember thinking at the time, I mean i I, I guess I understand that, but I know in my own worship that's kind of when I let loose mm-hmm. and and I, I don't I don't even think about what i'm what I'm saying I just it, it, it's it's almost like now, like what tongues would be, it's letting the Holy Spirit take my heart's intent, and magnify it and amplify it. And that's the way I feel with that song. When, when when we're all singing, I mean literally, at the top of our lungs, and whether it's on key or not, <laughs> most are probably on key or close, but man, God doesn't care. He doesn't care because the energy that we put into it, the the love that we pour into it is exactly what he wants. And he loves it. He loves it. I ask him and he tells me how much he loves it. So I want to encourage you. Make worship not just a Sunday part of your life. Make it a constant part of your life. Do you worship in your private time? You know, and I've talked about that before. You know, we talk about this quiet time. It's this time we set aside for the Lord, which, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I have a different opinion than that. I, I think we pretty much set aside our life for him. And so we're in constant communication with him. But you could be in constant worship. You don't have to have the radio on or a, a song on, your iPod on, or whatever to, to worship him. You know, you could just sing. You could sing in your mind. He loves the worship. The worship is what draws us close in community with him. So I want to really encourage you in that way. And, and that's just such an incredible time. So as you can see, the Lord answered, gave me an answer for the prayer. We are going to start Acts. I, I, he said he would tell me this week for sure. And, and I, uh, praying this week, I said, well, Lord, what's your answer? He said, yeah, go ahead and go ahead and do Acts. He said, pretty much I'm going to speak what I want anyways." <laughs> so to make me feel better, he gave me a pathway, and, and that's what we're going to begin. But, uh, but there it, I, I want to tell a little bit about some background of this book, because when you think of Acts, what do you think of? You think of Pentecost. You think of the early church, right, the beginning of the church. There's so much that is in the book of Acts that, I don't know if we'll finish the book of Acts. I mean, the way we kind of went with Colossians, if we do Acts the same way, it'll be four or five years from now <laughs> before we actually finish Acts. So we'll see, we'll see what the Lord does there. But um, I want to encourage you guys, this week, I want you to, to kind of take on a new challenge, if you will, in, in your reading time. And and perhaps you've done this. Perhaps many have done this. But I want to challenge you, beginning today or tomorrow, to read beginning in Luke. I want you to read Luke and then Acts. Because, see, Luke wrote them both. We're going to get into that here in a little bit. But Luke wrote the book of Luke and then the book of Acts. But something interesting that maybe you don't know is... (laughs) Luke was coming from a different perspective. See Luke is the only writer in the New Testament that was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. He was not coming from a Jewish perspective. In fact, he wrote this he was He was one of the ones that was close to the action, especially through paul 's life that 's why much of the book i mean pretty much I think it 's from from uh, chapter 12, 11 or 12, somewhere in there on, it's pretty much Paul's ministry through there. He was with Paul. He was the only one with Paul until the very end, right? And, and if, if you wonder where it says that, you can look up in 2 second, second Timothy chapter 4, and you don't need to turn there, uh, but verse, verse 11, Paul is at the end of his life, and he says, Luke alone is with me, and get Mark and bring him with you, for his, he's very useful to me for my ministry, and blah 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 blah. And he said many others have left him because see Paul at the end of his life he went to Rome and he knew he was going there to die. He he was he was going to uh, he was going to be martyred, but Luke stayed with him until the very end, and then Luke after this time. Or at, let me say, after the time of Christ, this was about eighty sixty sixty four, somewhere around in there. He wrote these books. He wrote them to a friend of his to explain the entire life and and message of Jesus Christ. So when I encourage you to uh, to get into Luke first, it's because Luke go and, and remember Luke is a physician, Okay, he comes from the standpoint one. Of healing. there are more healings in in the book of Luke in the Gospel of Luke than any of the other gospels he comes from the the uh, uh, that perspective but he comes from a Gentile perspective and and I, I think we're going to find that very interesting as we're getting into acts but to to begin let's go to the end of Luke I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24 we're just going to read the very end here to get a perspective of the crossover between Luke and Acts. And, and again, I, I want you to understand what's going on at this point. Okay, Jesus had just spent three years, over three years, with his disciples. Okay, all this amazing ministry, amazing healings, amazing um, uh, uh, demons cast out, just, just mountains of people reached, okay, and, and preached to, and Jesus is crucified on the cross. He is there and risen now from the grave, and he appears to his disciples after being risen from the grave. That's where we're at in Luke, and we're, we're going to start in verse 36 of chapter 24. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. You can imagine How they must have felt. I I really want you to try. Try to put yourself in the place of these disciples. Try to put yourself in that room where you just literally lost your best friend. Now keep in mind, he's been telling you all along, you're going to lose me. You're going to lose me for three days. But it'll only be three days. And then when I come back, I will come back in so much power and so much glory you won't even know what to do with it. He's been telling them this all along. And yet, you see when he dies, well, first of all, before he dies, they all scatter. Right? They all scatter. And, and except for one, John was the only one that stayed. John was the only one that stayed with Mary. He was the only one at the cross. They all, so they all scatter. They all are so confused. What in the world's going on? You know, this is not what's supposed to happen. Clearly they weren't listening or not understanding perhaps, right? So he comes and he he shows himself to them and he goes, peace be with you. Okay, now that was their greeting back then. That'd be kind of like you just lost your best friend and and all of a sudden you you hear that he's risen from the dead, kind of like what he said he was going to do. But you haven't seen him yet, and you're kind of like, no, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. All of a sudden, he pops in the room and says, hey, what's up? (laughs) You're here. (laughs) You know, that's really extraordinary. Put yourself in their shoes. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Okay, is this just the spirit? Is this just? Our minds playing tricks on us. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you, why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I, myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, now by the way, this wasn't enough. Jesus knew this wasn't enough. He, he, said, he said, you know, touch me, see my scars, see that I am flesh. I have risen from the grave and I am flesh. I, I am, I am the, the person that I was before and now with a glorified body. But he knew this wasn't enough, so he, he then spoke our language. He said, give me something to eat. <laughs> I mean, Seriously. And when they still disbelieved for joy and were, and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat here? He said, seriously, if you won't believe me for anything else, then believe me with your favorite pastime. You know, why, why is it that eating is so cool for us? I, I don't know. I grew up Baptist, and, and that is if you don't know that eating is the way to fellowship, then, then you didn't grow a Baptist. But I'm kind of thinking that it's probably the same for everybody. Interdenominational, Interdenominational right. See, Jesus knew that. He said, you know what, if you don't want to believe I'm, I'm, I'm real, okay, fine, fine, give me something to eat. <laughs> I'll prove it to you. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and of prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I love this next one. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You, he's talking to the disciples, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, remember that power I was talking about before I left? Said, behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay into the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So this sets the stage. This sets the stage for the book of Acts. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. Now recognize that something happened here. Okay? Something happened, and that's the fact that Jesus opened their eyes to see the meaning of Scripture. Don't assume that you can read Scripture on your own accord and just know Everything that it is to say. Oftentimes, as we grow in the Lord, we grow in the Lord because He begins peeling back layers of His Scripture to get us to understand. He opens, just as He did to the disciples, He opens our eyes to a new level of understanding in Scripture. Now recognize what, what the difference is. And this is really important to get. The difference is not... That the scripture changed. The difference is their understanding of the scripture changed. Boy, don't we have that today. I mean, can you imagine how much of the church on many levels is like the disciples were before Jesus opened their eyes. I can say this because I was part of that. Being saved for 44 years, there were many of those, 40 of those years that I went through believing things of of the Word of God that were just not the case. And in my own understanding, saying, well, this is what makes sense with this, and I apply this to today, and it couldn't be this way, because I've never experienced that. Most of you know what I'm talking about. So, what changed from four years ago in my life to today? Jesus opened my eyes. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to open my heart to being receptive to what his word says. See, there are so many layers to his word. You will go a lifetime, you could go a hundred lifetimes and never fully have the full intent of the scripture there's no way there's no way because the second you begin to understand something he then opens a new door peels back a new layer and says that's awesome that you got that now there's more that 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 literally qualifies you to move on to a deeper understanding and and by the way It's not this understanding of principles. It's not this understanding of, well, this do's and don'ts. It's a deeper understanding of who he is. It's a deeper understanding in that relationship and how we have that relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, try it. As you build your relationship, he's going to peel back layers in that relationship. One for you to understand yourself more. Two for you to understand how you to re- how you relate to him, how you relate to other people as well. That's what the Word of God does. That's why it says the Word of God is alive. It is God breathed. It's active. It is not something that was just put down in history and just it's just this historical book that we can pull some good things out of. It is God-breed. It's present tense. It's active. If you don't believe me, declare some of his word in your life and see what happens. Because see, his word's powerful. When you declare his word in your life, especially against the enemy, there's authority and there's power there. It's mean, It's extraordinary. Why? It's because his word is breathing. It's alive. It's active. It's present tense. So again, remember where we are here. Okay. Luke begins, verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, which is his friend. Now keep in mind, uh, again, Luke is coming from a... A little bit different perspective. He's coming from not only a Gentile perspective, but he is probably coming from a wealthy perspective. You know, he was a physician. He was a doctor. He was higher in the social class, if you will, whatever that means for back then. And we don't know who Theophilus is, but but a lot of the theologians guesstimate, if you will, that that he was in the government, and and Luke is telling him in great detail what Jesus did and then how the early church began. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, that was in the book of Luke, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now remember, there were 11, because one got lost. Right? Judas got lost. So there were 11 apostles that went forward after Jesus' ascension. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Why did he use the example of John, by the way? I think he used the example of John's baptism in the fact that it is full immersion. Okay, I want to point something out here. Let me go back. I want to say it's... John chapter twenty, yeah. John chapter twenty verse twenty two. This is an important thing to understand. What's going on here? Okay, and I could just read it. Um, says this, and when he had said this, he breathed on them. Okay, no, let me back up to twenty one. Jesus said to them again. Now this is this is after he had after he had risen from the dead. He is with the disciples. Okay, at this point, he's presented himself to them. He, he's already eaten with them. They know who he is. They know he's real. They know he's not a spirit. Jesus then said to them, to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I want, to, I want you to recognize that their receiving of the Holy Spirit was not in Acts chapter 2. That was not at Pentecost, which is where we're going to get there. They first received the Holy Spirit. It wasn't before Jesus died on the cross, Okay, because it wasn't available then and i don't mean his power wasn't available i'm talking about the sealing of the holy spirit in their in their hearts ephesians 1:13 and 14 where the holy spirit when we accept jesus christ into our heart our heart the holy spirit is sent to seal our hearts okay this is what he's doing he says receive the holy spirit and he blew the holy spirit onto them now let's go back to acts So what he's talking about here, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's a difference. Okay? This isn't the sealing of the Holy Spirit because of their salvation that was now available. That already happened. As a matter of fact, that was one of the first things Jesus did when he arose from the grave, before he ascended, when he was with them. So what this is talking about is a baptism of the Holy Spirit and immersion, if you will, of the Holy Spirit, he said, not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked of him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? (laughs) Which, by the way, that was what blinded them before. Lord, are you going to take all the bad stuff away now? Are you going to come and, and, and now, now declare in victory your throne? And Jesus' response was this. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed with his own authority. But you will, then he, then he shifts the conversation back to what his intent was, what he was talking to them about but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want to point something out here. This was not a promise simply to these 11 men. You're going to see that when we get to chapter 2. Right. It wasn't just the 11 men that received this power. And he said, this, this Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Verse 9, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. These were angels. And he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. <laughs> again, bring it into our day. You know, they're, they're like in awe. Jesus just left him. And it's like, think about this. He was with them for 40 days after he rose from the grave. Is that they have him for three years. He becomes their best friend. They lose him. They think he's gone forever. He shows up again telling them, look, this is what I've told you the whole time I'm going to do. And then he's with them for 40 days, and now he's gone again. Imagine what they were thinking. They're they're like gazing up into heaven. It's like, seriously? (laughs) He's gone again. And all of a sudden these two angels are like, guys, what did he just tell you? You have work to do. You have work to do. He went in order that he could send the power that you will help you do that work, so it, it, it's just extraordinary to to really think what's going through their mind at this time, and I love that because he said the same way or the angels said the same way he was taken up is the same way he will come back again now that that is that is the time that he actually comes back to claim his victory, and to claim that throne, which is after the tribulation. All right, then then we get into verse 12. Remember, there's only 11 of them, because they lost Judas. Verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of of James. All these were with one accord and were devoting themselves to prayer. They're in this upper room. They're together. They're devoting themselves to prayer. They're all in the same mind frame. Okay, this is important to understand. They were all unified. They were all going after the same thing. What were they doing? They were reaching out for the very relationship that they had when he was with them. They're all in one accord. They're devoted to communicating with Jesus. They're devoted to prayer. In those days, Peter stuck, stood up among the brothers, the company of persons, and all of these, it says right here, was about 120 people. So again, recognize this is not about just the eleven. Okay, they, they were a leadership, yes. And and significance there, yes. But it was not this promise was not just for them. Brothers. The scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before him by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, talking about Judas, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his vows gushed out. It became known to the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called, in their own language, Akaldama. That is, field of blood. Okay, then Peter says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Okay, I want to stop there a second. I don't know about you. This confused the heck out of me. Okay. When when I'm really studying this, first of all, recognize who Peter is. Okay. Peter's a fisherman. Peter's not been trained in the Scripture except for those three years. Now, who knows what he actually absorbed? I mean, clearly he didn't absorb enough to know that Jesus <laughs> was going to die on the cross and then be risen from the grave. In fact, you're going to see a stark difference between Peter prior to Pentecost, and Peter right after Pentecost. We're going to go through that in subsequent weeks. But but understand that he he is not a scripture scholar here. So what in the world ha- had him come up with this scripture out of the Psalms? There's another thing that, that confused me about this. We're not going to take the time, but if you turn to Psalms, and uh, let's see... I'll just give you the reference. It's Psalm sixty nine twenty five, or Psalm 69, and really you want to you read the whole psalm there. If you read that psalm and read into that and think, okay, I don't see how that references Jesus Christ and the apostles. Okay, except for the, the words that were brought out that Peter says here. Now, when you do that, understand, and and I I want you to understand the link I'm trying to make here. I'm I'm not playing down what Peter did. What I'm trying to get across here is the fact that he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, this was not done because, oh, I just studied that, as a matter of fact, and blah, 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 blah. Right. It wasn't about that. It was about Peter's relationship with the Lord, the Lord then, Peter trusting because he's been in prayer. He dedicated himself, he devoted himself along with all the others to prayer, to seeking God, to, to speaking to him. Many of us, most of us probably have been in that same place. Where are you at in your walk with the Lord? Are you seeking him to speak to you? Right, that's where Peter was. That's where they all were, and and in devoting themselves to that relationship, to that communication with the Lord, what happens with relationship? Is communication one way? No, I mean, if if you have a relationship where communication is only one way, it's not a very good relationship, and it doesn't matter what relationship it is. A good, healthy relationship has communication both ways. So this is the first evidence. Even though the Holy Spirit has not been sent to bathe them in power yet, okay, but what happened? Holy Spirit is laying on Peter's heart. This has to be fulfilled. This scripture has to be fulfilled. He pulls this scripture out and he says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. And he's applying this to Judas, because remember why why he said that. He said that there was an allotment given to each of them of ministry. In other words, they each had a, a specific purpose, they had a reason to move forward. They had 12 reasons, if you will, 12 levels of this leadership, and they just lost one. So now they have 11. So from our thinking, okay, well then the, the 11 absorb that extra amount. But see, that's what the Lord said to Peter can't be the case. That, that 12th person needs to be replaced. Because there's an allotment of ministry that that person is supposed to do that cannot be absorbed by the rest of them. Verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So he put some quantifiers down that this person had to be qualified in these ways, in the same ways that they were. See, they all came on board when John started preaching his baptism. When John was, you know, that, that voice in the wilderness coming out to crying out the coming of the Lord. That's when all of these disciples first heard of this and first began to to understand something was going on. So so Peter's saying it must be a person that went from the very beginning like that up till today who has seen Jesus Christ alive. We need a physical witness to replace Judas. Judas. And they put forward two names, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. See, I find that extraordinary because, remember, the Holy Spirit hasn't been sent in power yet. Right? And Jesus has already ascended. But yet you see the working of the Holy Spirit. Right? Isn't that where we are in so many ways? Where we get tastes of the Holy Spirit. Without full embrace. Where we just get parts of what he does. And yet we don't let him go any further. Either because of our lives or because, in in my case, for 40 years because of what I believed. I would not allow him to go any further in my walk with Christ because I simply didn't believe it. In fact, not even believing that it was possible, I believed it was wrong. But you see, that shuts down the power of the Holy Spirit even before. I'm not even talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit working in your life. See, the Holy Spirit was working in Peter's life here to suggest that we need the 12th person. And then it wasn't just that, you know, they, they found somebody who, who met all those criteria, but then he didn't say, okay, let's, let's vote. Out of us 11, you know, who, who wants Matthias? It wasn't that. He said, Lord, we trust you to tell us. And then they cast lots. Now, I don't understand casting lots. I mean, because in reality, it was... And, and there's a few different explanations when you study it in history, but it's, it's basically casting like a dice in a way. Okay, if you, uh, I don't know, when, when, uh, when we play golf a lot of times to see who, who tees off first on the first hole, you take a little tee and you spin it up in the air and whoever it points to gets to go first, right? Okay, because it's like an honor to go first. I hope for that because usually I'm not it later on because it's whoever wins the hole goes first next time, (laughs) right? But that's kind of like, if you think of it in terms of casting lots, it's kind of that same way. They said, Lord, we want your answer. We want to know what you want us to do. And so we cast lots for these two men. Show us who you want. So they took that golf tee and they threw it in the air and it went to Matthias. Probably wasn't a golf tee. Okay, but what happened there was the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Think about that. This is is before chapter 2. This is before the Holy Spirit falling on them. This is where I spent 40 years of my walk with Christ. Because in those 40 years, it wasn't that I didn't let the Holy Spirit work in my life. And, and perhaps this is where many of you are. Perhaps even those online. This is where many of you are. Where you allow him in to things that are in your comfort zone. Yeah, I, I can handle this because this is kind of how I grew up. And, and I understand the Holy Spirit works. And, and I want him to work in my life. I yeah, don't want him to like, come in too much. Because then that's a little too much, right? I know that's where I was. Perhaps there's that's where some of you are. Because, you know, to let him in, to let him begin to take control of your life, is scary. It's scary. And, it, and it, it's scary even when you're in love with Jesus Christ. Especially... When you're in love with Jesus Christ. Because the last thing you want is to be wrong. The last thing that you want is to do something that would be opposite of what Jesus would want. So we're going to get into heavy gifting as we get into chapter 2 and onward. These gifts of the Spirit, this promised power of the Holy Spirit that literally changed their lives. We're going to see it in Peter. I mean, my goodness. Read, uh, again, when you go back and read Luke and then Acts, I, I, want to, I want to encourage you, even read and notice what Peter's like before and after. <laughs> it's extraordinary. He was really incredibly loyal, but in many ways, could not see what God was trying to get him to see beforehand. Kind of a nitwit in a way. He really was. He was one of these reactionary people, right? Don't take my Lord. (laughs) Cut the ear off, right? Jesus said, hold on. You know, no, that's not the right reaction, right? He, He, no, I will never forsake you, Lord. I will never deny you, Lord. And he denied him three times. I mean, literally a chapter later. <laughs> it was the next day. Or that I've been that night. No, the next I think it was the later that night. So within twenty-four hours he's denying him. I mean, it's really extraordinary. But then you look at Peter afterward, and he's a totally different person. We're gonna get get into this in the middle of chapter two, where all of a sudden wow, this is Peter. This is Peter, what's the difference? The difference is the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus was the difference in their lives when he was here on earth. But he was one person. He was one physical man. Even though he was God, he never acted as God when he was on earth. He couldn't. He did everything as a man, just like what we would do in this life. He had the same temptations. He had the same difficulties. He had to because of. I think I just cut my thing off there. He had to because he had to go through everything that we would go through and yet fulfill the law so that way he could die for us and cover our sin. That's why he said, man, you want me to go. Trust me, you want me to go. Because when I go, the Father's going to send my spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus Christ. He said, when I go, I'm going to send, the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit will be with all of you if you let him. He'll encompass every part of your life if you let him. So this setup coming into chapter 2 is really quite extraordinary. I want you to understand, chapter 2, when we get into it next week, that's not when the Holy Spirit started working. It's important to understand what we just read all of chapter 1, the Holy Spirit was working. See, he's working in your life. He works in all those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. He works in their life to a level that they allow him to work. All Jesus is saying and what we're going to see beginning next week is that there's more. There's so much more available. There's more available in relationship with him, but there's more available... In doing his will. See, he said, wait until you're bathed in power. What, wait, why? Why? What did he just say before that? He said, because you will become my disciples to Jerusalem, to Samaria, to all these parts of the world. You're going to become my voice. So wait. So wait for the power. Because the power that's going to descend upon you is gonna give you that strength. It's gonna give you that understanding, that knowledge, to understand his word. To be a, these, these guys, they were not trained pastors. I mean, technically, they they went to less schooling than a pastor does now. Which and they come out of school honestly not really knowing a whole lot. Sorry. Any pastors listening to me? Apologize. So you can imagine these apostles were no different. I mean, they showed themselves because they didn't know what was going on when he was killed, even though he told them. See, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that comes into their heart, that begins to lead them, that begins to train them. I want to encourage you. You don't have to go to Bible school your whole life. You don't have to go to Bible college to know something about God. You don't have to know, go to these years of schooling to be able to share Christ in a deep, meaningful way. You don't have to do any of that. Why? Because Jesus offers the power of the Holy Spirit to come and do that alongside you. That's why you've heard me say say a zillion times, he's going to take you out of your comfort zone so he could lead you. And by the way, when he does that, you'll learn from it. You'll learn. I know many people this year, we we did the prayer prayer team at at creation, and there were many people that that went into that unsure of what was going to happen, right? And then when it happened, what, what happened there? The Holy Spirit took their hand and guided them through each part of it. You can apply that something in your life anytime you step out of your own comfort zone and you are obedient to the Lord and saying, Yes, Lord, I'll do this. I'll do whatever you want. Take my hand, Lord, and I, I, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to open your word and allow you to teach me. Teach me at a level that I can. Understand your Holy Spirit peeling back those layers so I can understand your word because I know you want me to be a witness. I know you want me to be a help. Trust Him. He wants to do that. See, there are people in your life right now that do not know Jesus Christ, and you might feel that I am unqualified to tell them about Jesus Christ. I'm unqualified because I, I wouldn't even know where to find, you know, the book of Acts. I'm pretty sure it's in the New I think there's a New Testament and Old Testament. Okay, and I, I'm, I'm going to basics, but please understand what I'm saying. That you don't have to know these things in order to step out in obedience. In fact, when you step out in obedience and the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and takes your hand and guides you through it, we learn. In fact, these are the best ways to learn. I, I remember, and really it's not changed now. It, it's the same, but I remember when, when I started teaching the college age. Now, you, you want to get a group that's hard to teach, yeah, I probably picked, like, the wrong group to start with. I don't know where my brain was. But, you know, it would be easier if I picked, like, five- and six-year-olds. All right? I mean, they would have been in trouble, but they wouldn't have asked me questions that I didn't know the answer to. Right? It's, it's like, you know, all these questions start coming over time. And, and I remember at the beginning thinking, Lord, how in the world? I know you've called me to do this. How in the world am I going to know everything to be a help to them? He said, don't worry about it. He said, I know everything. (laughs) He said, I just need your mouth. I just need your feet. I just need your hands. I just need you to convey the love that I have for them. Do you understand that the people you're with that don't know the Lord... Their only understanding of God may be the love that you show them. The love that you show, ask Jesus to give you his eyes. I do that all the time, especially if it's somebody I have a difficulty with. And we all have those, right? I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Lord, give me eyes to see how you see them. Give me eyes to see how you love them. It will change your perspective on talking to those people. It will. Trust me. And, and it, it will also take away a fear. Because if you talk to a Christian and you ask, okay, what is, if you were to give a number one fear of something that you're afraid of in this Christian life, Maybe the thing that, and maybe fear isn't even the right way to say it. A thing that is the most difficult thing to do, what would it be? It's talking to other people. It's talking to people about Christ. Talking to people, whether whether they be not saved and, and you're witnessing to them, which is tough, or even people that are saved, that you're trying to be a witness to. Or the toughest people you don't know. How in the world am I going to walk up to this pray Lord, you're... T- okay, Holy Spirit, I know you're telling me to go do this, but, but if I'd have known this was going to be like this, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> you actually want me to go up to this person I don't even know, and you, wanna t- you want me to s- tell them about you? Okay, that's tough. That's a hard thing to do when we think of doing it on our own. But see, that is the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to see as we get into this book, how the Holy Spirit wants to partner with you. He never asked you to do it. He never expected you to do it. The Father never put you here to put that load on you. That's why Jesus Christ came as a man. He took that burden on himself. He took that load on himself so we don't have to. All we're to be is his hands and feet, his mouth, his eyes. We're to be a representation of him to those who are put into our lives. When you look at it that way, it's really not complicated. It's really quite simple. But do we do it? It's simple, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. In fact, it's one of the hardest things in the world. It's much easier to control your life. The results are horrible, right? But it's much easier to control. It's much easier to say, well, no, I I got this one, God. I'll take care of this one because this is my comfort zone. I I, I prefer to stay here. That's where I was for 25 years fighting God. I wanted to control my own income. I wanted to control my life, and I knew I could do it with money. Didn't mean I didn't want to be part of the church. Didn't mean I didn't want to be in leadership in the church. I manipulated away with business to where I was part of the church 100%. And yet, I made my own money. And why? It was because I had more hope in my abilities to generate money than I did to give it to the Lord and just say your will. That's a scary place. It's a scary place. And, and I would pray that, that it doesn't take 25 years for you to get that. Because, see, God is the ultimate supplier of everything we need. But do we have faith for that? See, because there is a cost. And I'm closing here, but I want you to understand there's a cost to that life. And that cost is not burden. Jesus said, take my burden because it's light. I'll take yours. So the cost is not burden. The cost is not that, that we have to uh, worry about this and that when we give something something to Lord, oftentimes we give it to him, but then we worry about it. see that 's not really giving it to him it 's really just continuing the control that we have. but that cost is faith. Do I believe do I believe what you said, Lord? Do I believe that you promised that you'll give me everything I need to accomplish what you've given me to do? 2 Corinthians 9 eight. But my God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye have all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So if he gave you something to do, he said, I'll give you everything to do it with. Okay, but if you don't believe it, there's no power in it. Because, see, there has to be a part that you play. God's not going to turn you into a puppet. He needs your will. He needs, remember, where his mouth, his eyes, his feet, his hands. He needs us to make the choice that, yes, Lord, just do in my life what you want. Do in my life what you want. So I have faith. I have faith to trust. That what you said is true. Do we believe that as a church? Don't think for a second that the fact that we're not in a building is because we don't have enough faith for it. Don't think that for a second. That's not true. It's simply because what God's doing here he has to do in this atmosphere. He has to do in this place, and I, I, I can't wait. At a later date, I, I won't take time now, but but the Lord's given me a lot of new vision about that, kind of that next step, if you will. And we're going to be announcing some some things that we're going to plan to do over the next two months. In regards to right here and what God is doing, and growing what he's doing in you but see it costs faith it costs faith in your own life to say I'm gonna trust you I'm going to be what you need me to be I'm going to give what you tell me to give I'm going to do what you say to do see when you do that when you give him your everything extraordinary what he'll do in your life it's extraordinary what he'll do in your in in your outreach to even your friends and your family because everything changes there's just this unbelievable joy and peace that will come in your life so next week we're going to get into pentecost week which we refer to so often and really, it's such an amazing, amazing time. And we'll we'll get into that in more detail. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you. We praise you and thank you, God. I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit and what you do in our hearts, what you do in our lives. I thank you more for what is available to us, God. I pray that you open our eyes and open our minds to recognize what you do in our lives and what you want in our lives. Just as these disciples were, we're trusting the Holy Spirit at a certain level. But see, there's preparation and there's time that goes into just going before your throne and praying and that power of prayer is literally what brought the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, I, I pray right now that you keep us in a place of going before your throne. I'm so thankful. I mean, Tuesday nights are, are about my favorite time. And then the Monday night prayer call and the Wednesday night prayer call God, I thank you for those. I thank you because I don't take for granted the power of prayer and the power of building relationship with you through that communication. So Lord, as we get into this book, teach us that communication. Begin to peel back layers of this book to show us what relationship with you not only entails, but what it produces. I thank you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.